Hello and welcome to Perspective. This is a show by founders of small indie creative agencies, giving our perspective on starting and running our own companies. The aim is to provide useful advice and inspiration to others, as well as learn from each other and others we get to come talk on the show. This is our 16th episode. My name is John Dark. I'm a director at Every Interaction. And joining me today, I've got Rory McDonald from Made Tech. How are you doing, Rory? Hey, John. Yeah, I'm really good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Good. Pleasure to have you on. How are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. It's uh, yeah, it's good to be good to be doing this finally. We've taken us a few goes to to get it get it lined up. Yeah, I always find agency founders make great guests, but uh, often quite difficult to pin down. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine. Always busy, <laughs> myself included. Yep. Cool. So, uh, Maytech are a agile development agency. Is that right? Yeah, so we're we're a, a kind of a software development company. We we focus a lot on on kind of agile ways of working. So um, you know, helping helping kind of our customers and, and yeah, running the business using kind of agile uh, methodologies and agile kind of ways of working. Um, so a lot of what we do is actually kind of going into companies who who yeah, a lot of the time we have like in house um, engineering teams. Um, and kind of helping them to, to put in place kind of better ways of working. So that can cover kind of things like software engineering practices. So using kind of more modern practices that can cover things like uh, how do you kind of dismantle kind of team silos within uh, within the business? Um, so if you've got like a you've got a front end team and a DevOps team and a you know a, another kind of another area which is all siloed from one another, what what sort of things you can do to um, to dismantle these silos because these silos kind of tend to cause problems in in a lot of businesses and yeah, generally kind of help these organizations then to get into a good place around kind of shipping software so you know looking at these different techniques that we, that we put in place to to kind of help these businesses to move forward and kind of start shipping software much more much more regularly mm-hmm. yeah and you guys you specialize in a certain technology stack not really. We we have we have from a from a kind of marketing perspective, we've marketed ourselves as a as a Ruby and Rails shop for for a while. But we tend to employ people who are uh, a non or basically polyglot. So so engineers who've got kind of exposure to to multiple different programming languages. Um, we tend to find they kind of make stronger engineers because um, you've got an understanding of different kind of ways of doing things because you've seen uh, multiple kind of languages um, approach things in, in, in multiple different ways. Um, so you do use Ruby a lot and, and Rails a lot. Um, it's not it's not kind of the only, the only kind of language we use. And, you know, there's a lot of kind of closure and um, a bit of Go going on now. There's some PHP. Um, yeah, there's a bit of a, a multitude of things. But yeah, from a marketing point of view, you know, I guess we, we have we have market ourselves as a Rails shop for, for a little while. Mm. No, it's good to have a mix, but also obviously a, a specialism and a core that you that you stick to. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I think it's it's. I think with these sort of things, like the things evolve, right? I think you know, I think there's there's new ways of doing things, there's better ways of doing things, and I think as, as a kind of technology company, you need to you need to you need to move at the times and kind of find find kind of new ways of approaching things. And I think it's it'd be kind of silly for us to to just stick with one thing for and say we're going to stick with that one thing for forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. So today we're going to talk about Agile and, and how you guys use that to deliver to deliver website projects in particular. But um, before we do that, it'd be good to hear just a little bit of a background. Really, like how how did Maytech come to be? What, what's your sort of journey to get there? Yeah, sure. So um, so my background is yeah, kind of slightly strange one. In that I was um, 
I started in the in the kind of web or software or kind of agency sort of agency land in 2000 when I was when I was very young when I was 16. I kind of always tinkered really with with computers and kind of trying to make websites and a bit of HTML and JavaScript and all these sort of things. And it's always been kind of something I, I enjoyed doing. And yeah, when I was kind of 16, I was in just started like A level college and I was like, hey, this isn't this isn't that great. Maybe I can get a job doing doing some programming um so i yeah reading there's a magazine called create online uh, which was a kind of magazine back in that was kind of popular back in 2000 and there was a there was a company that was that was that was showcasing that magazine um and i got i got in touch with them and said hey you know i'm 16 i'm looking for looking for some work and they um went in to meet them and yeah they gave me a they gave me a job and it was yeah it was great i spent spent kind of a long time i think about five years working there i guess where i I consider that as where I kind of learned my craft. Really started to to really learn the you know the process around kind of um, around the web and kind of delivering delivering kind of projects. Um, and then following that, I kind of went to work at a few different few different companies, primarily kind of creative or um, or creatively led sort of companies. So um, there was a very kind of strong design focus in a lot of the companies I worked at between 2000 and I guess about 2008 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess back then, you know, things like Flash were were very popular. So I spent a lot of time being a being a being a kind of Flash developer and uh, heading up a, a kind of Flash Flash development team in one of, one of the agencies. And then, kind of following that, I, I did a bit of freelancing at a few different companies in London, a company in Boston, uh, a company in, in Amsterdam. And then, following that, I kind of decided, hey, I want to I want to kind of turn this turn this thing into into a into a company. Um, so. Started to, to build up build up a team, um, so kind of hired a couple of people. Um, started to kind of get get some work in, and I guess during this time I'd been starting to kind of move into kind of things like Ruby on Rails and, and some of the kind of more modern ways of doing things. And I guess I founded Made in six years ago, so I guess it was probably about 2010. Mm-hmm. Brought some brought some kind of people in, uh, brought another director into the business a, a couple of years later, and yeah, I guess we are we are where we are now. Yeah, we've got a kind of company based in kind of London Bridge, Blackfriars. Um, yeah, helping helping kind of organisations to kind of ship software and to to kind of do that kind of stuff really well. Fantastic. What what would, what would you say was the um, the tipping point that that made you really want to to start your own agency in the first place? I guess it was kind of seeing a problem, really. So seeing a problem with with lots of lots and lots of companies really struggling to to do the delivery of uh, of software projects. Agencies or, or the client side struggling. Um, I think it, when I started the company, it was it was the agencies. Um, but I think I've seen that kind of problem throughout uh, on both the agency and the client sides. Um, so I think I think that was the kind of that was the kind of thing that that made me made me start the business um and kind of i guess it was a it was a kind of funny one in that i was kind of freelancing and i was providing um these sort of services as an individual to um to to companies um and it was a kind of thing it's like hey i can do this with i can do this and turn this into a business was the was the kind of thing for me and and yeah and I, yeah i think it's it's yeah it's been a, it's been an interesting journey cool and um at what point did you get on the whole agile bandwagon? Was that something you were doing from the very beginning, or was it something you, you sort of picked up along the route and then really started investing in? So yeah, not really. I guess it was it was a uh, probably about four years ago, I'd say, is when when we kind of we, we started kind of really investing into that into that stuff. And I think I think it's been it's been going on for quite a while, but I think it started to kind of gain, gain some kind of serious traction probably about four or five years ago. Yeah, I don't know. I can't remember actually how, how we got into it. I guess just just continuously looking at kind of ways to uh 
to do things better um, and to reading about kind of lots of lots of different ways of, of approaching things and that was kind of one of the things that kind of just stood out I was like hey this is this is something we should, we should try and we tried it on tried it on kind of some some things internally in terms of hey we'd, we'd, we'd be doing a piece of work and it would be it'd be in I guess the more kind of classic old school sort of waterfall setup where we fix bids and having to deliver that piece of work we'd start initially started delivering that stuff using agile internally without kind of using them using the agile methodologies with customers and then at some point we're like hey you know this is this is not right in that we need to get clients fully on board to to these agile ways of working so we started to kind of you know as we learn kind of better and better ways to to deliver software um, in an agile way we started to kind of apply these to to more and more of our customers now this i guess it's a it's a we're continuously trying to trying to do that sort of stuff better and learning new ways of doing that sort of stuff all all the time Um, and i think it's you know i think the agile's got a it's become a bit of a bit of a kind of buzzword uh, I think probably over the last last few years, and there's a lot lot of places who are who are doing it. Maybe I don't know if this is the right thing to say, but co- companies who who are who don't understand why why agile works, and I think there's people who are just using like, hey, come on guys, let's let's be more agile, not understanding the kind of you know the principles behind it and some of the things that that are really important for for agile to work well. Okay, well let's unpack that a bit. I mean, what are those things do you, that that you need to do in order to make it work really well, in your opinion? I guess a lot of it comes back to like the Agile Manifesto, which is this 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 kind of idea that it's about Agile is about individuals and kind of interactions between those individuals, like focusing on that over like processes and kind of tools. And Agile is about kind of like creating working software um, over like big sets of documentation, and it's about collaboration over things like negotiation, like contract negotiation, and it's about change, you know, responding to change rather than kind of following a plan. And yes, yeah, it's, it's the kind of are you familiar with the, the Agile Manifesto? I know of it, yes. Uh, um, I know that there are 12 principles, is that right? Um, so yeah, it's, it's basically that. It's like, hey, the, these are the principles that, that underpin kind of Agile. And I think it's important to, to, to look back at them when, when you're trying to put in kind of place any sort of Agile ways of working and going, hey, it's this thing we're, it's this thing we're doing, sort of adhering to, to these principles. And obviously these kind of principles can evolve and, and can move forward. But I think at a kind of basic level, I think it's it's very useful for people to kind of refer back to these sort of things often. Right. And often people may conflate that with processes and tools and, you know, things like Kanban and other other things and think that that means agile, but they're just just tools that are aimed to support the agile manifesto. Yeah, exactly. Like like Scrum, Kanban, disciplined agile or dad safe, all these sort of things are, are just different kind of things that are put on top of the, the manifesto and, and different kind of mechanics you can use to, to ultimately ultimately help you help your delivery really and um and i think you know i'm sure there'll be there'll be kind of new ways and new 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 kind of methods that people use um but i think kind of coming back to the kind of the manifesto and the kind of things that that it kind of really values i think i think is important yeah i mean we've never proclaimed to be agile ourselves i mean we're user experience and design experts so um to us we, we don't do much development and i've always personally felt that the whole agile methodology uh, process has fitted much better with development on the whole uh, and an experience that we've had is we have worked in agile with development teams on projects but in my experience the ones that have worked really well when we've been working on an app or a product rather than a website say yeah for me it's always worked especially when you're doing something taking an mvp approach to, to a project where 
that initial deliverable gets scaled down a lot more to make it more achievable, but obviously still a viable product. And I guess in the past, we've tried to adapt the process for websites, but we've always sort of fallen back into this sort of hybrid approach that's that's fundamentally grounded in waterfall, at least until the development part of the process starts. Mm-hmm. Because I, I just found it very hard to, to be completely agile about going through the steps and the processes that seem to naturally sort of flow one after the other in that waterfall fashion, like doing your initial research, then sort of validating some ideas with some wireframes and sketches, and then moving those forwards down the chain into higher and higher fidelity versions and and doing user testing and, and doing all of this stuff before you've even thought about doing any design or development and to me, that, that's always quite well into the into the waterfall model. And I've found very hard to sort of apply agile to that part of the process directly. Yeah. So I guess I guess with that sort of stuff, I guess. So I guess a lot of that stuff is around documentation, right? It's about we want to wanting to be able to, to document what, uh, what a user is going to get for us. So a customer can see it, so a customer can sign it off. And for us, we would we would take the approach that we'd want to we'd want to get to the point where we've got uh, a piece of working software much, much sooner and spending a lot of time up front on 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 these different um, these different kind of levels of or these different you know wireframes and different levels of fidelity of, of design because um, we kind of tend to find that kind of the the working software piece is the piece that that ultimately you can you can test with people and the working software piece is the thing that actually is is the thing that holds the value. Um, because it's, 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 it's the thing that's actually out there and being used. Um, so for us, a lot, a lot of the processes that we put in place are, are around, hey, what is the kind of quickest way to get something to be in a piece of working software? Um, so a lot of things we try to do are like, I would say, rather than, rather than kind of PSD-led design, we try, we try and encourage design to be done, done within kind of HTML and CSS because we kind of tend to find that's, you know, that's closer to, to working software than, than having a, a PSD, which can be converted into, or that needs to be converted into, into a piece of design. And, but that, that sounds very sensible for something that's really functional, but what if it's something that's a lot more static, such as I don't know, an e-commerce website, for example? Yeah, like I, I'd say like an e-commerce website, fair, there's, a, there's a lot of function within that. Like I, I would see from a, if, if we were looking at, retain kind of website is a, is a kind of piece of marketing material, then I guess I can see, I can see it more then when it's like, Hey, there's, you know, there isn't, there isn't a huge amount of function to it. It's more about, it's more about just kind of like UI and layout and a very kind of sim- simple piece of s- simple piece of kind of marketing rather than a kind of something that's got some utility or some some function behind it. But like an e-commerce website, I think would be you know there's a lot there's a lot of decisions that, that need to need to be made within a kind of an e-commerce website. And I think you know again like the quicker you can like you can actually get key components of an e-commerce website built, I guess the better. Right, you know, if you look at something like a checkout process, you can things that kind of work well in checkout processes that that have been, I guess, evolved over many many years. So you can design, you can dump, jump straight into something like that and get something like that built out. Yeah, there's a lot of best practice already in place, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like it doesn't require hey a big, you know, a, a two month sort of upfront research piece to actually get get a checkout process working. But hey, once you've got that working, then it's like you've got some you've got some things you can evolve on, and you can actually go, hey, is this thing actually working as as well as we want? If not, hey, let's look at how we make this um, 
how we made it more effective or how we how we made you know it could be different things you're trying to achieve but hey do you want to increase the conversion rate do you want to add more fake features depending on what the kind of business is trying to trying to get to i think there's there is a, i think there is a line to be drawn though between you know kind of products and, and services and kind of like marketing websites and i think you know if you're looking at a kind of pure place sort or of marketing website which has got no no real kind of utility apart from marketing a, a piece of uh, something then i think i think it, it, it can be more difficult to, to apply the um, some of the kind of agile principles to, to something like that because i guess it's it's more like a, i guess a classic piece of graphic design i guess mm-hmm. yeah yeah absolutely so even on the projects where you, where you prefer to sort of do the, the design in the browser when you're working on something with more functionality taking the agile approach to that how how do you go through sort of validation and user testing with that part of the process do you do you build it first then test it or does it does it make sense to prototype stuff in a lower fidelity manner so that you you can sort of decide where you're going to invest that engineering uh, resource later on um i think it i think with a lot of these things i think it depends right it depends on the kind of particular thing you're working on so like for us a lot a lot of what we we do is we you know an organization will come to us and say hey you know we need your help to say to with some e-commerce or we need your help with um some tools for for the business and we will kind of work with them to flesh out what 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 are the problems effectively so it's like um, so using something we're doing at the moment as an example, it's like, hey, we're, we're working with uh, one business which has got a customer service team who the customer service team spend a lot of time manually kind of processing orders and manually kind of handling, um, you know, filling in spreadsheets and sending these back and forth between like about 20 different customer service people. And with something like that, you could approach that with, hey, we're going to do some wireframes around what is going to be the kind of optimum, optimal sort of flow to, to improve this. And we can, we can look at a few different things or we can go, OK, what are the big problems? Let's build something quickly. Um, so, hey, let's build a tool that will say initially will generate um, automatically kind of generate a spreadsheet for them, get that tool in front of these customer service people. And these customer service people become effectively our product, our product owners and get them to test it and go, hey, is this is this thing in the problem that we were experiencing as a, as a customer service team? And that's the kind of the, the approach we kind of tend to favor is like, hey, let's do this. Let's, let's set aside say, a week to, to work on this problem. Let's get something within a week we'll learn about the problem find a very simple solution to that problem and then within a week we'll showcase that solution to the product owner so the customer service team in, in this example um, get them to use it and go hey how is this how does this thing feel does this, this feel right is this solving the problem capture some feedback and then iterate on that and then spend as much time going iterating on things as 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 necessary to to ultimately solve the problem and when that problem's been solved you know you can you can invest a load more time into into finessing it and kind of making it better and better and better but hey you could you could also just try and solve another problem that, that the business has and that's kind of broadly the, the process we take really is like it's very very short cycles where we're working with the people who who've got the problem we're trying to solve and getting something out to them as quickly as possible and then and iterating on that and then moving on to another problem. And across these different types of projects you're working on, how often are, are you guys doing everything in-house and, and just exclusively working with the client? And, and how often are you sometimes working with another partner who, 
who may be doing the design and UX for the client as as their own sort of specialist delivery. Mm-hmm. In those scenarios, how does how does that sort of process work from from them doing their deliverables, you needing to start yours? I mean, is, is it pretty start and stop, or do you often do you collaborate quite a bit and do quite a bit of crossover? Um, so it, I think it changes depending on which which customer it is and the the kind of the the kind of I guess kind of fundamentally, I guess it changes depending on how experienced a particular business is at, at kind of agile deliveries. I think some of our, our less mature customers, uh, when I say mature, I mean like less mature agile customers, they tend to kind of like favor having a, hey, a big, a big kind of design up front piece. Um, and then, and then kind of throwing that over the, over the wall to dev. Um, and then us, us building some stuff out and then going back and forth, like cycling through it. But our more mature customers, um, they will they will they will bring kind of design in house, and then they will will typically basically bring the design into into our team. So we'll have maybe two engineers and, and a designer, um, and the designer could be you know, part of the, the the custom part of the customers team, or it could be a freelancer working for the customer or an external company who's working with the customer, and and then it will kind of broadly follow that kind of same process we're talking about before, and just it's just got a designer embedded in in the team rather than designer doing a, a load of kind of work up front. And then that person would contribute quite heavily to the whole research and wireframing and designing in directly in the browser phase of the project with you. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, we'd, we'd start, you know, we'd, we'd start building things out and there'll be like, there'll be kind of HTML and CSS stuff. And then they'll start con- contributing to that and starting to, to write kind of the CSS and kind of starting to, to make the kind of UI work. Um, and also then, you know, to, to evolve the kind of UX behind it as well, because that, you know, that sort of stuff I think can gradually evolve. It doesn't have to all be defined up front. Um, I thought there's, I guess there's, there's pros and cons, pros and cons to doing it up front and, and not doing it up front. Yeah, I'm really interested to know how on a web project, when we meet a lot of, I mean, we work on lots of different types of projects. We work on websites and products and the same is true for you guys, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. But um, when it comes to the website side of things, people tend to prefer to work towards, for some reason, a more fixed deliverable, fixed budgets, fixed deadlines. And when you're working on the product side of things, it always seems an easier sell to, to convince people to go agile and and then you're sort of talking about sprints and, and how many of those you're going to it's going to be hoping to invest in for to achieve a certain amount and get to sort of an MVP or a certain target deliverable. Mm-hmm. So how do you how do you balance that with clients who who sort of really want to work to fix deadlines and budgets with with agile? Is that something that's possible? So I think, I think fixed budgets certainly certainly possible. Um, the I guess the the challenge is if, when customers want um, a fixed budget and a fixed scope. Mm-hmm. And I think we 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 generally wouldn't commit to fixed budget fixed scope because uh, it's a wonderful idea to to have a fixed budget and fixed scope. Um, so we generally say at that point that hey, this customer might not be a great fit for us and potentially kind of pass up pass up the opportunity. Um, I think sometimes sometimes kind of we we get customers who who are kind of who are fairly new to to agile and who who are kind of open to kind of agile ways of working, but are just not have not yet experienced them. So they they do struggle to to understand or to to work out how best to approach these sort of things but but what we tend to find works best is to say to a customer hey okay so invest in a in a very short iteration so invest in a week or a two or or two weeks 
um, and we can work with you during these first week for, for these first two weeks to, to work on the highest priority thing that, that you've got. Um, and we, we can we can confidently give a, give a cost for, for the first week or the first two weeks because we know we know how many you know, effectively we bill on a basically a kind of time and materials basis. So if we've got you know we've got two people three people working on a working on for a customer, we know you know we know for two weeks it's going to be you know, ten days um, or twenty days or however many days it is um, based on the team size. So we can give them the cost for that for them two weeks, and you know we. We work them during them two weeks and make sure they feel comfortable working in that way, you know. And I think it's it's a, it's a good way to kind of test out if you know if they are they are ready to work in an agile way. Um, they they minimise the, the amount of investment that they're, they're putting in, um, and therefore the amount of risk. Um, we can kind of test out the waters there to see, hey, is this going to be a is this going to be a good good engagement for us? Is this the sort of thing we we want to be doing? And and then for the customer within the within the two weeks they get they, they get something delivered and shipped and right through to production and it's like hey they see that hey you can actually kind of work in these very short cycles and actually get something out. I think customers who who want kind of a hey to sign off a, a kind of big budget for for a statement of work and to to know that all you know these designs are going to be delivered in that period of time generally wouldn't work so well with us and I think it's. Um, yeah, I think it's about fit, really. It's about making sure that, you know, there's good alignment there about between the ways of working. And if, if you know that you're going to go into something that's not going to be a good fit, then it's probably not something worth it starting. You mentioned earlier about the um, more mature customers from an agile perspective, the, the customers who are used to working agile and really know the benefits of what it can bring. And so mm-hmm. it's obviously a much easier sell to them. Do you find that those those types of clients with that agile maturity, do you find them in terms of the scale of the company and, and the budgets you're talking about, are they on the larger end or the smaller end? Because my stereotype of my mind is that you know the, the largest of the companies are always a little bit slower to adopt these new new practices and methodologies and therefore more used to a, an older school way of doing things. Yeah. But, but does that mean you're always working with smaller clients with smaller budgets? How does, how does it seem to balance for you guys? So I wouldn't say we've we've seen the same thing there. So I'd say that for us, probably our our two largest clients over the last year, um, and one of these is particularly particularly large, are probably the most mature agile customers we've got. Mm. Yeah, it's actually I, I I don't see a kind of direct correlation between these two things. Actually, I think it's big organisations can be um, you know they, they, they can have their challenges for sure, and I think but I think they they can be kind of fairly open minded about about sort of these these kind of ways of working. Um, and in our experience, yeah, they can it has worked very very well. And I, I guess for me, I think it's like the, the customers who come to us who who are from a pure play marketing background are the ones that really struggle. Um, with agile right and i think it's you know i think it's customers who come to us from any size organization that are from more of a uh, more of a tech background so if if basically they're part of the kind of um, either part of kind of some sort of transformation team part of the cio stroke cto stroke it sort of um director's team or if they've got if they've got an engineering team in-house they tend to be the ones that um have got strong stronger sort of agile um understanding and are are, are, are are actually we tend to find these sort of customers are actually keen to work on a, a kind of basically kind of a time and materials sort of basis for you know that works that works kind of 
well for, for agile mm-hmm. um, and we tend to find that if if customers are from a marketing background and pri- you know, particularly when they're from a fairly old school marketing background that they're, they're kind of the idea of agile and kind of uh, these kind of new ways of working tend to tend to be more of a struggle and it it can take a, a long time to to get these customers to really understand the um the value in it yeah makes sense so if, with, if someone comes to you with a fixed budget and timeline, but they're willing to be flexible in scope, but obviously they, they have in mind what they want to achieve, how do you manage to scope things out enough to say, given that budget and that timeline, using Agile, we, we can deliver this project? How does, how does that work for you? So we try to not scope things out at all, basically. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> I think it's... Um, because that's just waterfall, right? <laughs> exactly. Because the the, yeah. the idea of scope is is irrelevant when it when it comes to a kind of agile project, right? You you've got priorities and you've got mm-hmm. things that, that that you know the business that is important for the business. Um, and you can look at these sort of things and go, hey, this this looks feasible or not. Um, but going, hey, there's this list of a hundred things that are, are are what we call within scope. And this list of 100 things which we think are out of scope doesn't make sense because it just sets set some expectations from the upfront that it's like, hey, these 100 things are definitely going to get done. But also, I guess the thing it also doesn't, doesn't matter is that you know, there's always stuff that comes up in projects, right? When you're when you're working on something, the, you know, the thing that a customer thinks is most important in in June is suddenly the least important thing in July, and it's like I think uh, I think when you've got this kind of idea of hey, this is this is our scope of work, it, it you know, the, having the flexibility that that you want um, within this sort of agile way of working, like the ability to be able to kind of respond to change. Um, is immediately removed if you've got this idea of scope, like a, a scope or a set kind of scope that's been agreed within within a delivery. Mm. We try to not not agree to any sort of scope. We try to go, hey, okay, let's um, let's set aside a period of time. So let's say, hey, you know, we want to we're going to work together for the next six months, or we're going to work together for the next three months. And you know, you want this number of people working on on this engagement. So you know, the, based on the kind of the appetite that the customer has, like if, we have, if a customer is like talking about doing a, a, a real a lot of work, if they, you know. Then we go, okay, maybe you need kind of two teams or three teams working on, on this piece of work or on, on these kind of multiple pieces of work for you. Then we say, hey, you know, we'll put these three teams in for, for six months or three months or, or whatever the kind of period of time is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's how we get to, to costs. We'll go, you know, it'll be the team of three times however many how many weeks. Um, yeah. And it's kind of as simple as that, really. And then, you know, we, we, we do work with customers to help them understand complexity of things. And I think that's very, very important is that, you know, when a customer has got this, hey, a customer wants to do this thing, you need to work with them to go, okay, what's the, what's the most sensible way to approach this? But we tend to find the way to do that is to jump into shipping software and go, okay. So, you know, coming back to the customer service example, it's like, okay, the customer service team are spending half their time filling in spreadsheets. What's the fastest way to improve that? And it's like, let's let's get some software written so we can improve that kind of rapidly and then iterate from there. And that's kind of that's kind of how, how, how we do things. So with a client who's never done Agile before, they're sort of Agile curious, let's say. <laughs> and uh, what kind of challenges would do you find selling in Agile to them in the process when when you can't guarantee them a scope? Is it just through doing the test pieces and saying that we'll, we'll do this for, for one sprint and you can see what we can achieve and get used to the process and if you're still liking it, then let, let's carry on in that vein and extend the relationship further? Is it always done that way or, or is there some special sort of uh, presentation you give that blows their socks off every time and they're just like, I'm sold, let's do it? 
No, yeah, there's, there's not there's not a special presentation that, that we've come up with yet. It's there's no magic bullet. There's no there's no magic bullet. I think it's a it's a, it's a difficult it's a difficult one. If customers are, are so insistent on having a fixed scope and fixed liberals, then they're, they're, they're not a good fit. And I think we, we kind of walk away. And I think it's taken us a while to learn that's the right thing to do. Mm. But that's that's kind of what we do now. In a couple of years ago, we would we would have spent time, a lot of time, trying to, I guess, kind of like convince customers of the value and invest a lot, a lot of time into that. And I think if I think I think it's hard. I think it's hard to do. I mean, how how can people convert them to as a sort of agile, um, loving clients? I mean, what what will it take? Is is it just impossible for some clients? Do you think to make that step, or do you think someone's going to have the the process to be able to turn them? Um, is it impossible? Like, I, I think there's there's little things you can do, like hey, let's agree to a one week iteration up front, right? And go, hey, we're just going to do a very very short iteration. You've got a fixed amount of um, risk you're holding here. Um, we've got a fixed amount of risk we're holding here, and let's see how that works. If customers can get comfortable working in that way, then they can they can slowly really kind of understand the value in it and seeing the value they're getting very like on a on a weekly basis mm-hmm. then I, I, you can you can you can get customers to, to kind of fully embrace it but i think it, it just takes quite a lot of work in terms of like you need to really handhold them through the process and i think that's okay to, it's okay to do that but i think i guess i've seen i've seen some customers who are who are like very strongly against the idea because they feel like they're holding so much risk and i think mm-hmm. i think that's not the case often like when you if you structured it sensibly so you know you're doing things in small enough chunks then then the customer holds some risk and the customer should hold some risk because it's their it's their piece of work you're doing right and the customer should hold some risk mm-hmm. and so should, should so should the company delivering the work holds some risk too right they their their neck needs to be on the line as hey if you can't ship this thing then ultimately you know you should you should lose that client and i think we we're happy to take that risk and go hey we actually offer a thing where it's like if a customer isn't happy with the the amount of stuff we're delivering within the first two weeks then they don't have to pay us for the ter- first two weeks of the engagement oh wow because we're like we we know we we know we're going to ship lots of stuff in the first two weeks and they're going to be happy with that mm. um so it's a risk we're, we're we're very comfortable taking wow yeah i mean that's you have to be confident i guess in your own abilities and and the agile process to really turn them around and i can imagine that that can really help sell them in yeah, like no, that, and that that does that that does help. You're sort of de-risking the test, essentially, aren't you, for them? Yeah, basically a free test you can do with us, and you know, if if you're happy with the results and you want to continue, then that's great. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess I hadn't I hadn't really thought of it as a free test, really, because we 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 I think we've offered this to every customer we've we've ever worked with on, even if they are kind of mature, agile customers, um, and none of them have ever gone, hey, yeah, we want we want that we want that money back. Um, it's mm. they've always gone. Hey, yeah, no, this is fine. Let's let's continue. And I think it's 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 a nice gesture. I think, and I think it does help to reassure customers who are less um, who are less sure about the process. Mm. Um, I guess the other thing I, I see changing a lot as well is I guess things like all the Gov UK stuff and the stuff they're doing there around kind of agile and the this sort of kind of transformation piece and the, the way they're kind of trying to change the the departments and. Um, I think that also helps because I think you can actually go, hey, you know, this process is is the process now that kind of government is moving to. And it actually helps to kind of when businesses are seeing that government is now actually using more modern practices than than, than they are, it helps them to go, oh, wow, OK, uh, this, this mm. it, it kind of validates the, the kind of whole way of working, really. Yeah, it's a great case study in that, it, you know, saving billions of pounds of taxpayers money <laughs> and government are often 
often the last people to adopt sort of new or or potentially interesting technologies or practices. And yeah, I guess that's a good point. If the government are doing it, then uh, you definitely should be too. Otherwise, you're way behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, like, certainly at the moment, the, government, the, the GDS and, and the various various kind of sort of modern uh, government departments are yeah are doing a lot of innovation around around tech delivery and um, you know and I think it's really great to see. And I think it's um, I think. You know, I guess I hope that more and more, um, more business, big and big and small, start to kind of uh, to work in this way. And I think I think it's happening. That's the kind of change we've certainly seen over the last few years. More and more businesses are very, are very comfortable work in working in this in this way. Yeah, it's becoming a lot more common. Businesses really got to adopt it from within. I think it's I think it's quite hard to, as an agency, as an external supplier, to really convince someone who isn't convinced that they should be doing agile just because. It, it takes more than a, a third-party supplier to, to make it work, doesn't it? it? You've got to have them completely on board with it and heavily involved throughout the process, or it's just not going to be a success. Yeah, I, th- I think it depends. I think it depends on the different stages of the of the engagement. Because I I tend to find you run into you run into blockers with businesses which are not you know the businesses which are not willing to or not comfortable adopting agile um, tend to be kind of fairly fairly old school thinkers. Um, and it's generally around the kind of financial side of it that, that, that they struggle. And I think once once you you can find a way past that sort of hurdle, then I think you can do transformation on the ground with within teams. So we we tend to do a lot of that where we will go in and we'll kind of work with you know a, a kind of team of people to to show them hey how they should be approaching kind of agile delivery. So we'll we'll look at things like hey the you know the way communication is happening. We'll look to kind of pull people from within the business into into the team that's doing delivery and start to kind of do a bit of a sort of a, a sort of ground up um, sort of transformation piece within businesses. But I think it's that first it's that kind of being able to get in there and on the ground. I think is the is the first thing you need to be able to do it as an external company. Mm-hmm. If you can't, if you can't get past, you know, the the people who I guess are holding the money and the, you know, people who are holding the budgets for a, for a piece of piece of work, if they are not comfortable working in an agile way, you can't go anywhere then, really. Um, but I think once once you've once you found once you're in there and on the ground, I think I think you can um, you can transform a business who who isn't comfortable doing agile into one that is. And I think it, it takes some work and it takes a lot of uh, just a just a lot of kind of like prodding in the right direction and looking, you know, seeing what, um, well, kind of showing people how it's working and just kind of gen- generally kind of nudging them, nudging the right direction. But I think I think it, it definitely can work, and we've seen it work and particularly well in in some organisations. Do, do you put teams in house, and do you find that a, a better way to help communicate that to them, or, or do you find it works equally well doing everything remotely from your own offices? Yeah, we t- like we tend to find you if if you're looking particularly around the transform businesses for who are who are who are not used to working in agile way to be in agile. I think it's really useful to be on the ground in their offices, um, and we we do that quite a lot, particularly early on in engagements where when we don't know the business that well and the business doesn't know us that well. Um, it's useful to spend a lot of time then just just really just sitting with people and kind of understanding what their role is and like you know. You know, for example, the customer service people I was talking about earlier on, like sitting with them for, for, you know, two or three days a week, just looking at, hey, this is what they do. 
right? This is their, this is this is the kind of what they're doing on a daily basis. So you understand their role a lot better. So you can then start to kind of support them to actually kind of transition it into a, into a more, I guess, a, a kind of more effective. I think you can just kind of have the conversations you need to have a, a bit more, a bit more freely. I think when you're when you're on the ground. Um, but that, that being said, I think that creates a whole other set of challenges for for, for a business. And um, when when everyone is on the ground in customers' offices, it, it creates some some interesting challenges. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Well, no, for management alone, I guess, and and you guys being able to manage your your staff and their deliverables. Yeah, so I guess it's, I guess it's the cultural thing that we have seen an impact on in the past when you have most of the company on site working it with very closely with customers, and it's like you know a couple of people back in the office. It's like ah. Uh, very quiet in the office today and I think and though those employees joined your company to be part of your culture not not sort of being planted into someone else's all the time yeah exactly exactly and I think it's um definitely some challenges there but I think it's like hey what's what's if, if, if you're going into a piece of work and your your role in that piece of work is to is to kind of modernize the way they're doing software delivery then I think the right thing to do is like find that like, is to approach that in, in in the best way possible and if that that means spending time a certain amount of time on, on site and and trying to find the balance between, between working from from your own from your own office, or or whether that means hey, bringing bringing all the all the key people from a, from the customer's office into your office and getting them to work within your office, things like that can, can help. Yeah, just having access to the stakeholders on a on a regular basis does make the world of difference for for all aspects of a project. Yeah, yeah, it does. Cool. So, any any final tips for anyone who uh, might be um, trying to sell agile to their clients and struggling a little bit? What word of advice can you give them? Oh yeah, I don't know what what advice we give. Um, start small. So try and try and just do a very kind of small piece of small piece of work in an agile way, um, and kind of really get them on board with that piece of work. So I guess a little bit like we we're talking about before, find a, a, a one week long iteration where you can go work very closely with them for a week. Get make sure you've got um, a showcase lined up at the end of the week where all the all the key people who are involved in the project are are going to be who are going to attend. Um, and then make and get a, a kind of nice small kind of chunk of work that you can kind of work with them on and get it kind of shipped in, in a week. And then basically agile is that process applied over over kind of longer periods of time. Because that'd be the that'd be kind of one of the things I guess the other thing I'd I'd probably look at is what agile principles can you apply to 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 more, more widely the, across the business. So can you apply kind of agile principles to your performance reviews or, or, or other things like that? Like it's, it's all about, I guess agile is about kind of lots of lots of collaboration and kind of short feedback cycles. And it's like, hey, there's, there's other areas that businesses can be applied to. And maybe maybe try some of the principles out in other, in, in other areas. Excellent. Good stuff. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today, Rory. Well, thanks, sir. Thanks for having me, John. Yeah, if people want to find out more about Maytech and yourself, where can they find you? Just visit our visit our website. Um, so it's just www.maytech.com. Uh, thanks to everyone for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this episode or find any of our past episodes, you can do so on our website at perspective.fm. Uh, you can send us an email directly on get at perspective.fm. We're on Twitter, underscore perspective.fm. You can find us on iTunes. We always appreciate ratings and reviews. You might leave us there. Tweet about the show, share it on Facebook, tell your friends, it all helps. Uh, we're easy to find in your podcast app of choice. Just search for Perspective FM in Google Music, Apple Podcasts app, Overcast, Pocket Casts, whatever you're using. All the links are on our website, along with the show notes for this episode. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.